Hello everybody and welcome to yet another one in our series of financial well-being podcasts. We've been doing these for quite a long time now, but it's still fun <laughs> every time we sit down and have a chat, the three of us. When I say the three of us, I mean myself, my name's David Lloyd, and with me I have... Chris Budd. Good morning, David. And... Listener's favourite. <laughs> uh, hi everyone, I'm Tom Morris, Chartered Financial Planner at Ovation. Exactly, yeah. So the three of us are here to um, um, chat about money and financial well-being. I remember when this podcast used to be all about me, you know. <laughs> Chris, it's long, always all, it's all long time ago. <laughs> I was going to ask you how your week's been, David. My week's been... I've had a funny old week, actually. Um, as, as regular listeners will know, uh, apart from doing this podcast... I'm a writer, I write for a BBC daytime soap called Doctors, and sometimes it's the easiest thing in the world. I just sit down and the words flow. This week I'm having to come up with a story for my next episode, and it's a bit like wading through treacle, getting lost in a pea soup of fog. I just haven't been able to come up with an idea. I've just been gazing blankly at the screen. Eventually, phone my script editor, bounced a few ideas off him, and, and, and I've finally now, I think, come up with a story that's half works anyway, and after we've finished this podcast, I've got to go home and write it up. Mm. But it's just been one of those strange weeks. The weather's been so lovely, though, and I think I find that a bit of a distraction. So what do you have a technique for breaking through those blockages? Yeah, I sit with it. I don't get frustrated. I, I recognise that it's part of the cycle. So if I'm really, really struggling... Uh, and I've reached a point where I just can't think of anything, I will stop and walk away and do something else, like yesterday or the day before. I just thought, right, I'm not going to think about this anymore. I put the cricket and watch a bit of cricket instead. At some point, of course, there is an imperative. There are deadlines that you have to meet. But I don't allow myself to stress. It's like sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night for no obvious reason, and I used to get really worried about that. I'd lie in bed, tossing and turning, worrying because I couldn't get back to sleep. Whereas now, if I do, I just go well, I can't sleep, and therefore I'll read a book or do something else. So the trick is, I find, is not to obsess about it and recognise that it's part of a cycle and eventually it will go away and yeah. creativity will return. Yeah, I, I find this fascinating. Actually. There's, a, there's a great podcast I'd recommend to listeners called Soda Jerker. Soda Jerker on songwriting. And um, it, they interview loads and loads of really well-known uh, songwriters about the art of songwriting. And one of the tips that comes out over and over again is if you're stuck, just keep going. And mm. I think one of them called it the rule of nine, that only one in every ten songs they write is any good. And it's usually the 10th. But you have to write those first nine bad songs to get the 10th good song. I think there's a lot of truth in that. And I think it, that becomes easier when, like myself, you're reasonably experienced because you know that you've got... A, there's a, something as it You've got come. a track record. Yeah. You know that you've got a body of work behind you. You know that you can do it. And you recognise that whatever it is you're going through is likely to be just a blip. And mm -hmm. so you just... Push so I think that's a great tip for listeners. Anybody who does creative stuff, and of course everybody's doing blogs, etc. These mm. days, and quite often I do loads of writing of blogs, and people say, "Well, where do the ideas come from?" You just do it. You just write. So thank you for listening for this uh, tips for writers podcast, <laughs> which is probably not why you tuned in. You're here to find out about financial well-being. So what actually are we meant to be talking about today, Chris? So today, David, we're going to look at what motivates us and how this knowledge might change how we look at money. Before we do that, I think it might be time uh, for a brief recap because not everyone who listens to these podcasts will have read the Financial Wellbeing what? book. I know, sad but <laughs> true. Scandalous. Yes. You know who you are. Uh, so <laughs> tell us again what the, the, the basic elements are. Okay, so we've got five basic elements to financial well-being. We need a clear path to identifiable objectives, so a plan. We need to get control of our daily finances. 
we need to know that we can cope with financial shocks, we need financial options, and we need clarity and security for those that we leave behind. Those are the five things that will make financial well-being. And coming back to this notion of motivation, does what motivate us apply to any one of those in particular? No, I think it's several of them, actually. And we'll make sure as we go through this kind of theoretical bit about motivation, we're going to make it very practical as well and bring it back to some of the, so that One or two of these will, 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 uh, will work very well. Excellent. Well, before we go on to that, we need to come back to our regular features. Uh, so uh, we're going to start off with the one where Tomo answers a financial question. What have you got for us this time, Tomo? Well, today, David, uh, I've got a question that came up from a relatively new client of ours um, who was asking a question about some investment jargon. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, something that you hear a lot in the press and never really quite get your head around, what on earth does that mean? Um, well, the question was around, what is the difference between yield and return? Okay, so this is a question from a client. Well, I thought, Chris, you were always telling me that clients aren't actually interested in their investments. Well, they generally aren't, but you've always got a few people who are going to be. So it's always worth bringing this stuff out, just so that you don't have to talk about it again. <laughs> right, so Tomo, yield and return. What is the difference? I haven't got a clue, mate. Oh, excellent. Look, the difference between yield and return. I'm going to focus on shares for a moment, just to make it a specific point. Yield is the income that a share produces. So if you owned a certain stock and it provided a dividend, that is the yield. So often if you buy an, you know, a fund, an equity fund, it would produce dividends and that is the yield. Return or total return is the combination of that yield and the growth of the actual fund or share itself. Now, we at Ovation are more focused on the total return side of things because I see an issue with yield and chasing yield. So if you chase the share that provides a, a high a high yield and that's the only shares you're going to pick, you actually condense what you can invest in and you lose some diversification in your portfolio. So we actually think a combination of shares that are going to grow in value because rather than pay out a dividend, they reinvest in the company and hopefully that will increase their value. And companies that actually pay a dividend, you've got a real nice spread of investments there and use a combination of the two. And by the same token, if you're investing in a share with a really good yield, but the value of the share goes down quite a lot, well, you're actually losing money. So just focusing on yield is a bit misleading, we think. Is that yes. fair? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So think total returns. So think of the growth and the yield that an investment produces. So just before I came round here to do this recording, I had a letter from uh, Ovation Finance and I opened it up and it's my quarterly statement telling me how my uh, personal pension is doing. And it showed, I have to say, a very attractive profit uh, over, over the trading that you've done on my behalf over the last three months. So is that yield or return? Both. Both. It's a combination of the two. So your pension will produce that yield and it would also produce growth within the investments that are underneath it. So it's the combination. However, it is important to state that um, as your advisors, um, we never take the credit when it goes up because we don't want the blame when it goes down. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. We All position right. you so that you can experience the gains, but not hopefully as many of the losses. But they will come. They will come. Well, in that case, I'm going to take all the credit myself for having the appropriate <laughs> attitude to risk at the right time. Exactly. Right. OK, thank you, Tomo. You've explained that very clearly. So now we move on to tight-ass Tomo. 
Uh, again, it's uh, Tomo every time we do a podcast comes in with a recommendation of how we can do something to save ourselves a little bit of money. Chris, I believe you might have something for I us do, this week. yeah. I've got one from Ruby, my son's girlfriend. Um, so Ruby's age 15, and like many girls of that age, uh, she knows how to shop on a budget. I asked her for a shopping tip when she was around the other day, and she suggested shopping in charity shops because they're cheaper and often better quality than some of the cheap end of the high street shops. So far, so good. But then she had a, a moment of inspiration. I'm not sure what you'll think of this, David. Even better, she said, work in a charity shop and then price the clothes even cheaper than what the, that you want to buy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's clever, but I'm not sure it's ethically sound. <laughs> but I'm sure it fits into the tight-ass Tombo tip. I mean, it's going to quite an extreme to get cheap clothes, isn't well, it? Well, definitely. Well, actually, following on from that, um, I have direct experience of saving money recently money's been a bit tight just a bit of cash flow i thought just need to just rain and rain the budget in a little bit for a month so normally um and i'm going to mention brands here i, I normally shop at waitrose because i kind of quite like the food that they have there they've got a good selection employee-owned company exactly yeah, and like it's, you know, i like the ethics of the company as well and, and it's genuinely understood that some of their stuff is not all of it by any means some of their stuff is a bit more expensive so anyway for the last month um i've thought well actually i'll I won't shop at Waitrose. I'll actually go to the local greengrocers and buy my fruit and veg there. And I'll go to the local butchers and I'll buy my meat there. And if I need uh, soap powder and, and washing up liquid and that sort of stuff, I'll actually go to Tesco's. And, and in fact, I believe you can go to Lidl and it's even cheaper. But um, So I've been doing that. The amount of money I've saved has mm. been actually quite significant. Because the thing is, if you're in Waitrose, it's all under one roof. So you buy the stuff that's evenly priced with everything else, but then you go and buy your, your washing powder that's actually three or four pounds more expensive than it is down the road. Mm. And I've saved myself a significant amount of money. I'll give you a case in point. Eating a lot of salads at the moment. Well, a punnet of uh, uh, mustard and cress in Waitrose, 80p. A punnet of mustard and cress in Birchall's, the local greengrocers, 18p. Wow. You know, wow. And, and so that's a significant saving. Surely mustard, mustard and cress is what you grow on your window, sir. Yeah, but it's that stuff, it's salad cress. You know, <laughs> yeah, the sort of yeah. that, it's that salad. I didn't remember as a kid, my mum always had rows of mustard and cress growing on the window. Well, exactly. I could probably do it even cheaper and not even pay the 18p for it by putting it on a bit of blotting paper and doing that. I've just had a brilliant idea. I need to get my mum on this podcast because she's tighter than you, Tomo. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Impossible. Impossible. Well, there's a challenge. There, my new feature is going to be Chris's mum's <laughs> tight ass stomach. Yeah, we think of a we think of a good hashtag. For I'm it. seeing her tomorrow. I shall ask her for a few. So, by shopping around, I think you can make significant savings. Uh, but Tomo, what's yours, tight ass Tomo tip for this week? Forget paying for a cleaner. Just invite your in-laws or parents round every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. No, bear with me on this one. So last weekend we had, uh, well, I had my in-laws round, Lindsay's parents, and yeah, all of a sudden the fear that the house is not up to scratch. So you're busy, busy uh, cleaning everything as, as quickly as you can, and it's brilliant. It's the fear that they're coming round. Yeah, so, so saved you, on paying for a cleaner. You were cleaning everything as well, were you, Tom? Yeah. Of course yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, a yeah. modern day man, modern day man. Uh, so yeah, there you go. It's the fear of parents or in-laws coming round will inspire you to clean. Therefore, not paying for a cleaner. Right then, okay, so back to business. Chris, motivation. What motivates us in life? Tell me more, and in particular, tell me what this has to do with our financial well-being. 
Okay, David. So look, I'll tell you the conclusion first, and then we'll look at the evidence to back this up. Okay. Good storytelling. You always start with the ending, don't you, and then work back towards it. Not only is money not a motivating factor, it's actually often a demotivator. So that's the conclusion. We'll have a look, therefore, at uh, how to prove that. We'll look at what things motivate us, what we can do to motivate ourselves, and some examples that demonstrate that seeing money as an incentive can actually have the opposite effect on our well-being. So this is based on a really good book. If anybody wants to uh, like a companion with this podcast, it's called Drive by a chap called Daniel Pink. Not a long read. Uh, I really recommend it. So here's the basic premise. We all assume that money motivates people, right? At least to some extent. Uh, if we want something done quicker, we offer money as an incentive. We tip the waitress, we give the salesman a target. I'm trying to get my son currently to uh, vacuum clean the car and I'm offering some, him some money and he's not doing it. <laughs> so we dangle the carrot and we apply the stick. Where does this come from? So according to Daniel Pink, there are two ways of working. The first he calls algorithmic, which the name comes from the fact that it can be completed by following a given number of steps, an algorithm, right? We follow the instructions and we get given a full in-tray or we set the factory line and we perform the task until it is completed. The quicker the task, the quicker we go through the steps, the better. The other type of working he calls heuristic, which is a fancy word basically for problem solving. There isn't a set path to follow, and therefore this is a task that needs to be worked out. It literally means a task that cannot be completed by following a given number of steps. So, can you guys think of your early jobs that you used to do uh, years ago? Probably easier for David than Tomo, because Tomo hasn't got many years ago. <laughs> I got plenty. <laughs> do you want to borrow some? <laughs> early jobs that you used to do that were algorithmic in nature. Well, I'm trying to think. I mean, I had, uh, yes, I had the, pretty much the first job I had. It was a holiday job after I left school before I went away to teach a training college. So I would have been 18. And I worked at the local oil refinery where my dad worked for a firm of industrial contract cleaners. And it was our job to clean the oil refinery. Nice. It was not a glamorous job at all, as you can imagine. It involved an awful lot of sweeping up of dust and things like that. Did but you it, have to always get there oily? <laughs> They no, did. but I did go. No, listeners, I am not <laughs> laughing at that joke. Stony faced, yeah. Uh, I got very oily doing it. It got very dirty. It was a horrible job, actually. It was very well paid, I remember, because it was actually quite not dangerous, but but sort of pretty dirty and hard work. And uh, but that was yes, that was a series of steps. So you yeah. were given a task. It was. I remember one once we had to get down inside this big tank that had been used for filtering chemicals. I think. Mm. So to get into this tank. There was a small opening at the top, no more than a metre wide. Uh, and this was very high tech because uh, one of us would go down with no breathing apparatus or anything like that, just wearing a pair of overalls and a pair of wellies, not even a hard hat. The other one would then lower a bucket down on a piece of rope. <laughs> We'd be down there with a shovel, shoveling it wow. in. You could only stay down there for 10 minutes because of the smell and the heat, and then the, you'd have to get out and swap over. Wow. So that was a clearly um, a set of it objectives. It wasn't easy in the 1850s, was it? It wasn't, no, not at all. <laughs> and then the next week, we'd be up a chimney. <laughs> <laughs> but presumably there'd be a machine for that now, wouldn't there? I would hope so, yeah. yeah and that yeah, was, But yeah. that was, yeah, so that was a, a set number of objectives that we had to achieve in order to get the hell out of there and be safe. Do you have one, Tom? I do. My first job out of university, well, my first job in financial services was for a pension company as an administrator and it was very tip-bot checklist task orientated and it was mind-numbing. 
Yeah, when I was uh, 18, I used to work in the meat department of Sainsbury's at eight o'clock every morning, shoving the old meat down <laughs> to make the mince meat. Um, and that was definitely algorithmic in nature, I can tell you. So years ago, most jobs were algorithmic. Uh, in fact, the way that business and society, that capitalism works, is it built its reward and motivational system around providing the sort of incentive that worked best for that type of work. So the focus of society in the workplace was on the carrot and the stick. Work harder, get paid more, and therefore buy more stuff. Do you know what? I think from that first job I mentioned, you could ask for overtime and you'd be given it, and that was to work harder, you do more tasks for them, to have more money, to buy more stuff. So that's interesting. That's only 10 years ago. Yeah, but we know that buying more stuff doesn't add to long term well being. We've talked about it many times in previous podcasts. Exactly, but that's just one way in which the old system of reward is flawed, because these days algorithmic work is no longer the norm. Much more common is for people to be problem solvers, to be working in a more heuristic way. Hold hard, amigo. Uh, <laughs> that's a big statement that you've just made there. So let's test it for a minute. So you're saying that work these days is less a set of instructions and more about problem solving. Well, how can you prove that? Okay, so there's a couple of ways. Firstly, there's the job that you described earlier, going down that filtration tank. There will be a machine that will be doing that job now. Almost certainly that job will be obsolete. Um, anything that can be uh, boiled down to a few steps, you can have a computer program or a robot to perform that for you. So a lot of those algorithmic jobs have disappeared through automation. Okay, what about the ones that haven't? Well, you tell me, what jobs uh, are done by people that you know and love? Obviously, you're writing, David, that's definitely not an automation. Teaching, that Lindsay no, does, that's not, not automation. automation no. That's problem solving. What about with innovation? What do I, we do there? I'd say financial planning isn't automated because everybody is very different, so you can't just check off lists. It's and actually, some of the bits of financial planning that you can automate, such as investments, mm -hmm. you can get that online through robo-advice these yeah. days. In fact, our industry is a perfect example. The, the profession is going in a way that you have to do planning to still be offering a decent service, don't you? I, I agree. So, um, what are what are common jobs these days? Event management. That's that's problem solving. I know I'm just making stuff up. Yeah. Now, well, I mean, <laughs> my partner Gail is a is she's a doctor, but she's a psychiatrist who works with adults with ADHD. Definitely not problem. That's, definitely not algorithmic. That exactly, one. Exactly. Yes. I know that requires a huge amount of intuition and skill and knowledge. Obviously, most people do problem solving jobs these days. So the carrot and the stick, the promise of more money, doesn't work for heuristic work. There's been many, many studies that show that fulfillment is the motivator for problem-solving work. Not only that, but offering money can actually act as a demotivating factor. Um, David, you and I run a youth cricket section. We do lots of time and effort, and so do the other coaches, which we put in for nothing. Imagine, would we still be putting that same effort in if we got paid? Do you know what? No, it wouldn't, for me, it wouldn't make any difference at all because I don't do it for the money. The thought of making money from it never never comes into it to me at all. It's about doing something for the club that I love and for my local community. And in fact, the point that Daniel Pink makes is that if you put money on something like that, it makes it feel like work because if it wasn't work, you wouldn't have to pay somebody to do it. So um, in many ways, putting money on something as a reward spoils the thing. And there's a really good example he gives um, of a survey that was done for people who were gonna donate blood. And they put an advert out and said, you know, who would like to come along on Tuesday at two o'clock to donate blood? And they got about 150 people. 50 of those people, they said, thanks very much. See you at Tuesday, there won't be any payment. 
Another 50 that said, thanks very much, see you on Tuesday, we'll denote £50 to charity on your behalf if you come. And the third lot that said, thanks very much, come along on Tuesday and we'll give you 50 quid. So who turned up the most, do you reckon? Well, I'd like to think it would be the people that weren't getting paid at all because they did it because they wanted to do it. Bang on. You know, I probably flagged it up in my previous 10 minutes. <laughs> but yeah, it was. The, the, the people who were being paid to come, less of those turned up. Actually, the charitable donation and the voluntary were about the same. Yeah, because after a while you would probably think, all right, for some people, 50 quid is a significant amount of money. I don't want to make it sound like it isn't. But you would probably just think, oh, I've got to give up two, three hours of my time. I'm going to have to lie there. I can't yeah, be bothered yeah. with all of that. But also the reward that you're getting for doing that is, but I'll be saving somebody's life. Yeah. But if the reward is, but they'll pay me 50 quid, uh, it's not quite so Exactly. So I think, the, I think that motivation, certainly for me, would always be a stronger motivation, which is why I put the time, as you do in, and other people do, into you know, helping run the cricket club, because you feel that it's doing something good for other people, which for me is always a good motivation. Fulfilment. Exactly. Exactly. You're bang on. Right on message, David. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Another one was the story... Actually, one of these times we ought to do a podcast where I don't agree with you. <laughs> no, we and shouldn't. I say, I say, no, no, that's rubbish. We'll have a row. We'll have a podcast row. But we'll just not, re- not this week. Record our time in the pubs. That's all we do for that. <laughs> Then there is the story of the late arrivals at a child nursery. This is a good one because parents were turning up late to pick their children up from the nursery and this was becoming a bit of a problem. So the nursery said that anybody who arrives late will now be fined £10 for every five minutes you're late. And the result was more people arrived late. And the reason is that when they were arriving late and it was meaning the staff couldn't go home, it was imposing on somebody else. As soon as they put a price on it, people said, oh, great, I can turn up late and I've just got to give them a tenner. And the motivation, therefore, was completely different. They were happy to be more happy to be late than they were before. I think they should have said, if you're late, we're just going to leave your child on the street <laughs> and go home. That would have been a motivation. Yeah, definitely. So we have a, a, a capitalist, an economic system in society uh, an entire approach to money, I would suggest, which is built around motivation as being about carrot and sticks, about getting more money. I don't tell my kids if they work hard and pass their exams, they'll get a good job. I tell them if they work hard and then one day they will have a better chance of doing a job that they enjoy. Look, it's all well and good. And I think, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to do a job that I really enjoy, apart from when I don't, but most of the time I do. <laughs> but we have to caveat this theory by saying that you do need to eat and have a roof over your head. And sometimes you just need to earn money to do that. Yeah, of course we do. Um, that's the whole Maslow's hierarchy of needs stuff. But most people, I think, that will be listening to this podcast do have those basics. And of course, there's always the welfare state. So well, for how much longer? Oh, political point. <laughs> <laughs> so we are talking about extra money. We're talking about what motivates us to work harder um, and in terms of personal finances to save for the future. Uh, can I make an observation at this point, Chris, if you don't mind me buttoning? If what you're saying is that the nature of our motivation is fulfilment rather than accruing money, then this definitely comes back to the starting point of the financial well-being book, surely. And indeed, I'd argue of financial planning in a sense of having a clear path to identifiable objectives. This, David, is the role now. We're becoming clear, isn't it? I'm the kind of philosophising, just talking out of my head <laughs> i was thinking of the other end <laughs> <laughs> and it needs tomo to bring it back to the practicality exactly uh, he always is very good at that 
I do try. I do try. So, you know, if we're told to save so that we have a pot of money, then this isn't going to motivate us. But if we can envisage what future, what the future might look like, we then realise what could realistically be achievable. Then maybe we'll be more likely to save. I mean, this is why financial planning, you know, should start with that element of coaching, really understanding what you want from life, um, enabling people to maybe dream a little bit, start to envisage that future. So maybe there's a bit more of a motivation to start putting that plan in place and putting money away. I think we've had a tip in a previous podcast of um, whatever your future motivation is, whether it's retirement, whether it's traveling, spending more time with the kids, have a picture of that thing on your desk in front of you so that 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 is what motivates you to work harder, to know that you can get that future motivation. I I really like that. And I've I've often seen, you know, a simple one page financial plan that states your objectives and how to get there put on the fridge. And it's just a nice, gentle reminder of why you're doing these things I think it helps motivation for sure yeah definitely so so let's recap then so I think what we're saying is that work these days is more about problem solving so the old carrot and stick approach getting people to work harder just doesn't work anymore so but but isn't that still how most companies work is is drive the book you talked about is that a new book no no actually it's not it came out in 2009 a lot of the research he quotes is decades older but business just takes a long time to change and to catch up you know people are stuck in their ways and actually there is one angle on this therefore that really interests me regular listeners will know that i recently sold the majority of ovation finance to an employee ownership trust podcast 37 and of course the future book called the eternal business nice plug thank you um, did that well, didn't I? Yep. Available for order on Amazon uh, now. Now, one of the key principles of an employee-owned business is that the company must have a very clear sense of purpose. What I call the flag in the ground or Simon Sinek's uh, start with why is also good on that stuff. Employees who have a voice in the running of the business should then be attractive if they share those same core values, which means their motivation will come from helping the company to achieve that very clearly defined sense of purpose. I speak with a lot of young financial advisors and often they want to talk about maybe setting up their own business one day. And I always say to them, find a company that has got the same core values as you. You don't need to set up your own business to do that. You just need to find the right company that you will fill at home in. Yeah, I completely agree. Setting up your own business might be for some people, but it isn't for everyone. Um, And it might well be that if you find that company that shares the same values with you and you have some kind of influence or, or ability to to shape that company then that could be a better option than going out on your own so it's an option for sure brilliant so to summarize we will be motivated to work hard and to be more efficient if the rewards on offer uh, increase our fulfillment and therefore increase our well-being the message therefore being to do a job that gives you fulfillment to have a clear idea of what sort of future makes you happy and then spend your money on that that's my catchphrase. Your nickname is like Tombo. We keep nicking my catchphrases as well. <laughs> well, it's because we're all learning together and turning into one great big happy podcast. Imitation family. is what the most uh, the sincerest best. form of flattery. There you go. <laughs> See, I can't even do that phrase either. So I'm learning from you now, David. And on that happy cooperative note, <laughs> that's all we have for you. But do tune in uh, the next time we come back to you with one of our fantastic financial well-being podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit 
www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. <laughs>